0: Today I want to talk to you about one of the most famous prophet from the Old Covenant. I want to share with you about the life of Elijah. Elijah, speaking of Elijah, let's do this today. And we often think of the prophets of old as superhumans, altogether different from any of us. However, the book of James clearly says that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, body, spirit, and soul, a man who just once please, and obey his master. Just like all of us, isn't it? If you have your Bibles, can we turn to 1 Kings chapter 19? And I'd like to share with you some significant lessons from one of the greatest seasons of his life. Someone once said that if you study the Old Covenant, you can observe that some of the most anointed prophets served and lived in the same era as the worst kings. Case in point, Elijah and Ahab and Jezebel. And I believe after studying his life, Ahab was a weak king. There's a difference between weak and wicked. He was a weak king, but he married a wicked queen. He married Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was a Phoenician princess from Sidon, a priestess of Baal and Asherah. And through their unholy alliance from Scripture, it reveals very clearly that compromise seeped into the nation of Israel. And one of the main issues affecting the kings of old, we see this in the Old Testament very often, the main stumbling block was wrong alliances. And we need to be very aware and careful about this. And this is also one of the main tests by the Lord given to the kings of old, and many of them failed. So we can see that the temples to Baal were being built, prophets of Yahweh were being persecuted, and all of these under the nose of Ahab, and yet he did nothing. Queen Jezebel was the one calling the shots. So the land fell into debauchery and grave darkness. And in the midst of such darkness, one man arose. Elijah came into the scene and preached against them and made himself an enemy to Ahab and Jezebel. Even his name was totally against everything they believed him. His name means Yahweh is God. And long story short, there was a terrible drought ordained by the Lord. And one day, Elijah proposed a showdown with the prophets of Baal before the people. And we can see this in 1 Kings 18. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And verse 21, it says, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord, Yahweh, is God, follow him. But if Baal is the Lord, follow him. The scripture says the people said nothing. In summary, then Elijah prays and down comes the fire from heaven. And try to imagine with me this scene, all right? First, it begins to burn up the sacrifice, but then it comes further down and begins to burn up the wood. It actually begins to consume the very stones of the altar and the stones begin to disintegrate. And the earth begins to be consumed, even though water was poured on it. Finally, everybody falls down, I guess, from the intensity of the heat, as well as the awe and wonder. And they begin to proclaim with their own lips, the Lord, He is God. Incredible victory in the sight of all. And now we come to the main story of this message. We go straight to chapter 19. And I'm going to share with you from verses 1 to 18 to give you some context. And we can see that Elijah won a resounding victory at Mount Carmel. The people who were formally silent without any opinion at all started on their own to confess. Yahweh is the Lord. As scriptures say that the power of the Lord came upon Elijah, he overtook the chariot of Ahab and rain started falling. The drought was over. And you can imagine that Elijah at this point is expecting a revolution. The people finally are supposed to rise up in rebellion against Jezebel. Elijah probably thought that things will start to be smooth after the great victory, that God definitely has a plan. And Ahab and the weak king and his wicked witch wife Jezebel will either repent or be deposed from their throne. And he's supposed to come riding into Jezreel to, to the hero's welcome. Everyone will be clapping for him. They will give him a nice house uh, situated beside the palace so that he can advise and counsel the future king. But instead, we have First Kings chapter 19, verse 2, and it says, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not kill you by this time tomorrow. Take a look at this. There was no revolution. Elijah didn't get a hero's welcome, but he has to hide again. Jezebel was still in power. In fact, it almost seemed like she's, she's more energized by demonic forces. And we can see that Elijah's high on Mount Carmel is followed by a spiritual low, almost like a kind of depression. And before we can get into this, can, I, can we just acknowledge here in this room that isn't our life like that sometimes? Right after some tremendous victory, we go back into some spiritual low fall back into some old temptation, or something goes wrong. It definitely has been the way for me. Some of my lowest points in struggling with temptation or tremendous pressure came after some great spiritual victory. For many of you, probably you obeyed God, experienced some success, but life took a turn that you weren't expecting. Sometimes you you experience great, tremendous victory, or breakthrough either at work, family, or ministry, but then you go back home you realize things are either the same or probably even got worse. They're shouting, the screaming at home, parents are still fighting, everything is in a mess of kids are still rebellious. And this passage is dealing with godly people getting discouraged. You know, one of the greatest preachers the church has ever known, Charles Spurgeon, very publicly wrestled with depression. And here's what he wrote. He said, "Fits of depression came over the most of us. Usually cheerful as we may be, we are at intervals cast down. The strong are not always vigorous, the wise are not always ready, the brave are not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. And can I say this to you? To be human is to experience pain. Pain is inevitable, but the question is, how do we deal with it? And is there hope? What do we do with feelings of anger, loss, and frustration? And let's begin to look at Elijah's response in verses 3 and 4. It says, When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. First, we can see this clearly in verse 3 that he left his servant. In the Old Covenant, it's very common for people to have servants or servants. It's either one or these two reasons, all right? It's either you're very rich or your servant is your ministry PA. So your servant is tied to your ministry identity. So when Elijah left his servant there, he's basically saying, I'm quitting the ministry. I don't want to be a prophet anymore. I want to be alone from now on. And can I say that this is one of the most dangerous things to do? If you are in a bad place emotionally and spiritually, isolation is one of the worst things that you can ever do. I know sometimes there are different seasons in our lives that we need our space. We need to go somewhere for quiet time. We need to just spend some time shut up from the world. But do not isolate yourself for long periods of time. It is not helpful. Get back to community, amen? And in verse 4, it reads that Elijah said, Lord, take my life away. He's very, very down right now. And I find it interesting to note that Elijah did not attempt to commit suicide because he knew that no matter how down he was, life was too sacred. So he asked the Lord, I won't do it. You do it for me instead. <laughs> Take my life, Lord. And almost immediately, we can see that the Lord responded in a very special and interesting way. We can see this in verses eight, uh, 6 to 8. And he says, And he looked, and behold, there." was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him, and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. I want us to open our eyes to see how the Lord treated Elijah. And we can see the Lord did three things. First, the Lord nourished Elijah in verse 6, and one of the most practical things that the Lord did was send an angel to cook for Elijah and asked him to rest. Second, the Lord touched Elijah physically. We can see this in verse 5. And third, the Lord listened to Elijah. We can see this in verse 9. Because the Lord asked him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Usually when we read such information in the Scriptures, we brush them aside as like, Extra unnecessary information. But I want to tell you that this is very significant because God treated Elijah as a physical being, a relational being, an emotional being, and a spiritual being. And usually, when God asks us a question, it's never for us to provide Him with information. He allows us to come before Him in honesty to process our pain, our disappointment, and our hurt before the one who is most holy because that's the God we serve. Amen. He is a relational God. And God meets us where we are. He's very involved in the mess and the brokenness. And do you know what Elijah needed? He needed a touch. He needed to rest. He needed someone to listen to him. But most importantly, he needed to hear from the Lord. He needed a fresh word from the Lord. Some of you, you need a rest, physical rest. If the enemy cannot destroy you, he will push you over to the edge until you jump over yourself. Don't ever feel guilty about taking a rest. It is wise and healthy warfare. Amen. And the most importantly, the Lord Himself is our rest. Amen. And next we can see in verse 8 that Elijah went to Mount Horab. Why did he go to that mountain? Mount Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. And where have we heard this name before? It says that Elijah went into a cave. In the original language, it means a cleft. Centuries before, his predecessor Moses went up on the same mountain, Mount Sinai, and he said, Lord, I want to see your glory. And the Lord said, I will show you, but you must hide in the cleft of the mountain, for I will pass you by. And Moses had a precious, fresh revelation from the Lord. And let's see what happened to Elijah from verses 11 to 13 from 1 Kings chapter 19, and the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he put his cloak over his face, went out, and stood at the mouth of the cave. Elijah and Moses had very similar yet different experiences on the same mountaintop. Moses got thunder, smoke and trumpets. Elijah also saw the wind, he saw the earthquake and the fire, but God was not in them. Instead, God showed up to Elijah in a still, small voice. Can I just highlight one verse? It says, and after the earthquake of fire, But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went up and stood at the entrance of the Lord. And behold, the voice of the Lord came to him. And the English translation here lacks accuracy, okay? A still small voice actually is the wrong translation of the Hebrew text. It actually means a sound of thin silence. It's a phrase that means complete silence. It's probably the kind of silence that most of us have never experienced before. Only those who have encountered such silence will know how dramatic and scary it actually is. But even in this complete silence, something happened in Elijah's heart and he knew that God would speak. Something happened in his heart and he knew that the voice of the Lord would be coming next. So he covered his face in the presence of the Holy One. And expect that the glory of the Holy One will be coming. He exited the cave in expectation that God would speak. And scripture shows that God did. And let me say this when we approach the divine with expectation, God will always speak. Amen? Amen? Even in the silence, He is always present. And we can see the difference between Moses and Elijah. God used the big, the explosive, the loud with Moses, and He used the soft, the mild and a calm with Elijah. They were both equally significant experiences with God, but they look very different. In my life and in ministry, I observe uh, a temptation in a lot of us. We are always tempted to replicate the experiences of other people. Sometimes we think, he had a powerful encounter during worship. She heard a voice from the Lord during author call. What about me? Is there something wrong with me? Instead, is it possible that we are looking for the thunder and the trumpets when God is using a still, small voice? Both are significant mountain top because God is still speaking. It's possible that God is giving us our own mountain top encounter, but we are resisting it because we are waiting to have someone else's. We think that just because this person had it, I'm supposed to have the exact same thing. Many years ago, we have this preacher that came um, um, to Cornerstone. I will not, inform, uh, will not mention the name or where he's from, but it was a powerful night uh, meeting and uh, I'm part of the author team. So our author members were there. We have about 20 of us and uh, people were being touched by the Lord. Towards the end of the service, um, he very graciously asked for all the autumn team members to come to the front and he will minister to them because he was saying that, you're always catching people, now I want to bless you. Wow, so precious. So, um, and, and he talked about the joy of the Lord. And that in that instance, everyone, everyone in my team were all on the floor, like laughing, rolling. And I was like, God, everything that you have in store for them, I want it to. Am I nervous? Of course, like, I never laughed publicly before. I <laughs> said, so God, but but if this is what you want for me, I will just, just do it. I'll, I'm, my hands are open. Just touch me as, you, as I am. Um, then he prayed for everyone. All encountered the Lord. I'm oh, sorry, most encountered the Lord. He, when he came to me, he laid hands. Um, but nothing happened. I didn't fall. Nothing happened. He laid hands again. I didn't fall. And I, By then, I knew that a lot of eyes were on me, but in my mind, my conviction is, no matter how much I respect you, I will not give you a courtesy fall. (laughs) I will never fall down just like that, okay? But I said, God, no matter what, I still want you to touch me. And and everyone left, then come to the Lord. But let me tell you that the Lord touched me that night. He touched me when I was on my way home after the service in a taxi, and I did not laugh. Something happened and he, he broke my heart. He revealed things to me in the taxi. And instead of laughing, I was crying. And he revealed things that I've never in my mind imagined that were possible. He said, you have unforgiveness towards this person. I was shocked because I, I never thought that it was possible. And he encountered me and he revealed things to me. And in that like 20 minutes journey, I was crying and crying. And the Lord met me where I was. The taxi driver was so funny. He's like, he thought that something happened. He's like, eh, boy, uh, you cannot dumb. uh." (laughs) Because it was like 1 a.m., in the silence, I was crying and crying. Could God have touched me with everyone in the main auditorium and laughing? Yes. Do you know why the Lord touched me in a taxi? I don't know. He's sovereign, he's all-powerful, yet he's personal. He touched me in a very unique way And let me tell you this, do not look to your neighbor, do not look to your left and right. God wants to touch you where you are. The Lord in His wisdom and glory will come and reveal to you in His own special way. He's all-powerful, yet He's personal. Amen? You know, when Lazarus passed away um, and Jesus approached the family, Mary comes up to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. Martha, another sister, came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Same situation, same question. And Mary gets tears. Jesus wept. While Martha gets a theological lecture, Jesus reveals himself as, I'm the resurrection and the life. He revealed himself as a man of tears and a man of truth. And what's going on here? Different hearts need different revelation from the richness of God's glory both of them, both of them needed different expressions. Amen. So let's continue with our chapter. In verse 13, then the Lord asked Elijah a question again. He said, what are you doing here? And from there, we can see the source of Elijah's problem. In verse 14, Elijah replied, I paraphrase, okay. He said, I have been very zealous for you. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me. Here was Elijah's mindset. First, he said, I've obeyed everything you've said. Why aren't you doing anything now? Second, he put God in a box. That he thinks that he's the only one in this journey. Elijah's issue was that he thought that he had a better plan. He thought that after Mount Carmel, things would have been fixed according to his plan. Elijah thinks that God has let him down, but God has not let him down. Elijah's limited view of God and how God works has let Elijah down, but God has always been at work. And in verses 15 to 18, God revealed his plan to Elijah. He said, go back. Way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shafa, from Abel Mahola, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Through this, God revealed that he had a plan all along. I have been working all along, even though it was not your plan. And we can see that God's plan was so strange and out of this world. Elijah would never have thought of it. A prophet of Israel going to annoy a pagan king? Sounds ridiculous, right? Annoy Hazel, an unbelieving pagan, would carry out the judgment of the Lord. And yes, This was the Lord's plan because His ways are higher than our ways. Amen. If I I can summarise Elijah's frustrations and expectations for you. After Mount Carmel, Elijah thought that things would happen according to his expectation. He thought that Ahab and Jezebel would lose power immediately and flee. And at Mount Horeb, Elijah thought that God would manifest according to his expectations. He thought the fire, the earthquake and the wind would answer his question. Elijah was getting used to Mount Carmel's display of power and he thought that this was how he was going to get his answers on Mount Horeb too. But God answered differently. But the most important thing is to listen to the still small voice knowing that in all season, in all season, God has a plan because the reality of God is far greater than our preconceived conceptions of who God is. Amen. And listen, friends, sometimes when we can't understand or we can't fix our perceived outcomes into our plans, it doesn't mean that God is absent. It's very easy for us to judge God and say, where were you when we were undergoing this? He was in the most unassuming way, working behind the scenes to ensure not just your future, not just your survival, but for your destiny. Amen? And from this passage, we can infer that when we are in a season of doubt, and in the valley of such discouragement, sometimes we need to do three things. I'm going to be a bit more practical right now, okay? First, expose the lie. Twice in this passage, God asks Elijah why he's down, why he's so depressed. And twice Elijah responds with a mixture of truth and error. We can see this in verse 14. He said, I have been zealous for you. Is that true? That's true. The Israelites have rejected you. That's true. They have killed your prophets. That's true. I'm the only one left. False. Because God has 7,000 faithful ones in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal, who have not kissed the idol of demons. And He's about to raise up another prophet with twice the power and anointing that Elijah had. Elijah was coming. And I'm the only one left. Do you realize how wrong that is? But that is often how despair works in our lives. Sometimes the progression of a few true things leads you to a dangerously false conclusion. You get so overwhelmed and your lenses get tainted and you start making untrue, ungodly confessions which affect your entire soul. It affects your entire heart and you become offended. And your despondent self is whispering these conclusions to you and you must stop listening to them. So God in His grace and wisdom confronted the lie and exposed Elijah to this truth. Sometimes we need to confess these things. It's useless. My family will never change. That's a lie. My marriage will never work out. That's a lie. My kids will never be safe. That's a lie. My dad had cancer, so I most probably will have it too. That's a lie. Take hold of yourself and preach to your soul and be long-winded if you have to. My future is not dim. The resurrection of Christ declares this. My God is good and His mercy endures forever. Whether it's about your marriage, your children, or sickness you're battling, biblical hope, this is what um, I learned from Pastor Yang, is the positive anticipation that things can change long before the breakthrough comes. And Pastor Yang recently I've been preaching about peace and hope recently because especially in this season, we need to guard our minds and our hearts. And I realized that much of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we are listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. Every morning we are, when we wake, we are bombarded by many thoughts, some of them good, some of them bad. However, when we look at Scripture, King David's solution was amazing. Instead of allowing his despondent self to speak to him, he starts speaking to his soul. He says, hey, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Why are you so depressed, oh my soul? Because his soul was crushing him. So he paused and he says, heart and mind right now, You listen to me, put your hope in God, for yet I will praise Him for He is my Savior and my God. Amen. So let's start speaking life to our hearts because His mercies, they are new every morning. Amen. Second point, get back to your assignment. Verse 15, and the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be the king over Syria. And this story ends with God telling Elijah to get back in the business of being a prophet. He needs to go back to his assignment and he needs to end well. Remember I mentioned he left his servant because he was saying that, ah, no, forget it, I'm done. But God say, please, go back. Go back to do what I've called you to do. He needs to remember why he was caught and he needs to continue to be faithful to do what God has called him to do. Continue giving the Word of God, continue training up holy men of God for um, the Word of the Lord. Amen? For for you, whatever you should be doing, no matter how despondent you are, pick yourself up and do not quit. Some of you, perhaps you are cell leaders or shepherds, you realise, oh, roadblock, hiccup, roadblock. I want to tell you, remember the first time why you became a shepherd. Get back to your assignment, start loving people. And it's possible, it's only possible when you have that fresh encounter with the voice of the Lord, amen? Do you remember when Elijah was mocking the, uh, the servants of Baal? He said, is your God on the trip? Is he taking a nap? But that's not our God. The God that we serve, the God that we worship, the God that we give our allegiance to, neither sleep nor slumber. He's in control. And that's why we can trust Him. That's why we can get back to our assignment. Amen? Yes, there might be roadblocks, but strengthen your knees and get back to being faithful. Third, don't rely on a formula. Sometimes because God came through for us in one particular way in the past, we think that's how He's always going to break through for us. And we close our eyes to all other graces. You know, when the Bible talks about how Christians fulfill their mission or find strength in tough periods, or just simply how to mature over all, it reveals so, so much. So much is contained in the Word of God. But if we keep being fixated on the formula, we may elbow out other biblical ways that God gives Himself to us, and we may foster a sense of pride against our brethren who try as they might need more than the keys that we have personally have gained to cope with trials and temptation. Throughout scripture, God's people often need more than experience of going up to the mountain. They also need God through the things that He has made down the mountain. They need not only the grace of God in their encounters, but also the gifts of God in creation. Elijah needed God to revive his faith. He needed God to speak to him. He needed God to show himself. But first, he also needed to eat and sleep. And God knows. After letting his prophet rest, God sends his angel with these practical words, arise and eat. Men shall not live by bread alone. Is that true? Yes. But men should not try to live without bread as well. (laughs) Amen. What about Paul, the most amazing apostle in the New Testament? In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul calls God the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. We can see this in 2 Corinthians. Yes, He's a God of comfort, a God who tracks us down in the midst of our fears and our anxiety, puts His arms around us and leads us back home. But the question is, how does God deliver His comfort? Sometimes God comforts us directly through His Word. When Paul felt the thorn pierce his sight, and when he pleaded for relief, Jesus met him with a word. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in witness. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But other times, God comforts us through community, through his people. Because when Paul came into Macedonia and he was afflicted at every turn, hard pressed on all sides. He cried out to the Lord and God wrapped his comfort in a person. It says, but God who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Amazing. For that instance, Paul needed more than just a word to feel comfort in his sorrow. He needed God's grace through a good friend. He needed Titus. Learn to recognize the graces and the gifts of the Lord. Because sometimes we like to fall back on a formula. We think just because a strategy worked for us in the past, it should work for us through every season and for every, everyone. And we think that, oh, just because God did it for me, He will do it for you the exact same way. But what I've learned that no two issues are the same. Our journey with the Lord is not a one size that fits all. And I'm so grateful for this. The beauty of our walk with God, is that He's constantly wing us to draw near to Him and to discern His heart. Because don't we all love to have a blueprint for life that just tells us what we should do in every season of our lives, give us the answer for everything. Anything we blur, we just check the blueprint, close and okay. But the Lord give us something better. He give us the best helper that we can ever have. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit. So don't fall back on a formula, get to know the voice of the precious Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to summarize this entire sermon. I'm going to say that discouragement is real. It can happen to anyone, but God is always at work in a mess, even when we think we are alone. Are you despairing? Do you know Adonai, sorry, Adonai Judson? He's a missionary to Burma. I think in the 1830s, 1824, he was once so depressed because, um, if I'm not wrong, three of his kids were, 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 were killed. They died and he lost two spouses. He was even in jail for like 23 months. There was once he was so despondent that he dug a grave beside him, sat down, stared at the grave for days. But the Lord sustained him. He strengthened himself. And we can see his legacy now in, in Myanmar the fruit of his labour. Do not lose heart. The Lord is near, amen. And in every season, wait for his voice and start preaching to yourself. Some of you, you have not spoken to your your heart, your soul for years. And every time these thoughts come to you, you declare, you make an ungodly confession. You say, things will never change. My family will never change. My marriage will never work. And God's saying, stop it. Speak right now to your soul for I'm good and my mercy endures forever. Amen. And lastly, get to know the precious Holy Spirit. Can I get everyone to rise? A very simple message. I wish we can have author call, but um, but Pastor Lynette is going to lead us in a worship song. And I just want to speak to some of you. I just feel that some of you, you are at the brink. You just want to quit. You just want to let go of certain ministry obligation and the Lord is saying to you right now, strengthen your knees and your hands and I will sustain you. Some of you, you need to recognize the graces of the Lord. It's so easy sometimes for a pastor, every time when people come to us they say, you just need to pray more. I know it's true, okay. But sometimes you need to be led by the Holy Spirit and recognize the graces of the Lord in all seasons of your life. Sometimes it's through community, it's through a friend, sometimes it's through something else. Get to know the Holy Spirit. And last, some of you are so despondent. You find there's no way out. But let me tell you, okay, God is always involved in the mess and the brokenness of our lives. Even when we think that He's absent, but He's always present in our need. Amen. Thank you. Mm. Nice. thank you, Jesus.
1: I love you, Lord For your mercy Days I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay in my head. Oh, I will see of the goodness of God. darkest nights you are close like no other i've known you as a father i've known you as goodness of God Your goodness is running
0: Doctrine is right? We know that um, He's all-powerful but sometimes it's hard for us to fully grasp, to fully understand that He is good. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you will reveal yourself, reveal yourself in your own special way to everyone here. Father, I pray for those of them who are in such a despondent state. Lord, I speak life and hope in the name of Jesus, Lord. Dead dreams will come to life right now in the name of Jesus. I speak healing and restoration right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, you will meet them where they are. You are all-powerful, yet you are personal. And Lord, I bless them in the name of Jesus. The blessings of God, the Father and Son and Holy Spirit be with you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you, the Lord let His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and grant you His supernatural shalom. So the blessings of God, the Father, the strength and grace of Christ the Son, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. And everybody say, Amen. Let's give God a praise offering. Amen.